Amen. Come on, praise him. Yeah. Amen, amen. Well, I got a question. I want to ask you all. We're in this Facing the Giants, right? And let me just start off by asking you a question. Anybody got problems? See, that's what I love about this church family is that we're not hiding behind. See, the funny thing about church is, is that the very place where you're supposed to be real and, 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 and you're supposed to come to, to be honest and be helped with problems is the very place that we have to kind of shy away from that, right? We act like, oh, you know, if I come to church and I got a problem and I raise my hand, I say I got a problem. If I raise my hand, I say I need help. All of a sudden, well, you know, they're going to think that I'm not spiritual. Man, let's dispense with that air right away. We, we, we need help, and his name is Jesus. Help has a name. His name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I had a problem uh, this past week. You see, if you, if you rewind the tape about eight months ago, I, um, I had a strut problem. <laughs> and I'm not talking about like, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, not that kind of strut. Uh, I had a strut problem. See, my, my wife's 2006 Honda Odyssey, I know you. this is the ongoing tale of my wife's car. Every few weeks, there's some, somehow it, that manages to make its way into a message. But about eight months back, I, 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 re, I heard a, a noise coming from the front left, right? That would be the driver's side. And it turns out to be a broken strut. So, you know, I replace the strut. I do all my mechanical work myself. I watch YouTube. And... Uh, Oh, don't, come, don't judge me, man. I know a lot of y'all watch YouTube, okay? <laughs> so I, I replaced the strut, and everything was great. And my wife was so proud of me. Oh, man, you fixed my van, you know? Like, she doesn't realize it's 2006. But, um, but yeah, so I fixed it all was well. Until about four or five weeks ago, when my wife reported a noise coming from the driver's side front. Thinking, oh, boy. And... Uh, you know, she, I thought she was over-exaggerating things, right? I thought it was not, not big of a deal. Well, she says, as she drops the kids off at school, the, uh, like, she would go over like a speed bump, and like everyone would like look around thinking like a gunshot was going off or something, right? And I thought, oh, she's, she's over-exaggerating, making a bigger deal of it. Well, then uh, I took a t- trip to Flagstaff, and that was awesome, let me tell you. The whole time, we're right in the, every time I hit a bump, you know, hit a couple, the whole way there, the whole way back. She wasn't exaggerating. And with every bump that I hit, it was like a reminder that I was a failure, right? That I couldn't even fix the van. And then came the piercing words. Um, honey, maybe you should take it to professional. <laughs> now, men... You feel me on this, right? Like, you feel my pain here because, like, if I just take it to a professional, that's like admitting failure. That's like accepting that I can't fix her van. So I was mad. I didn't let her know I was mad. I'm like, oh, I got this. So I go right back to YouTube, right? Possible causes. And I'm looking all over. And after a lot of hours of research and after changing a few unneeded parts, I found the problem. It was the strut bolt right there at the top. It had simply worked itself loose. And by the way, uh, that if you're replacing your shocks and you use Monroe Quick Struts, you might want to check the uh, torque on that, okay? Help you out a little bit, fellas. <laughs> the point is, it was, a, it was a factory problem. I was vindicated. I wasn't a failure. 
Yeah, you can clap for that. I was clapping. I was like, whew, thank you, Lord. The truth is, we all hate failing, don't we? None of us like to fail. And the potential for failure, man, it's, if we're honest, it's looming each and every day, wherever we go, whatever we do, there's the potential for failure. Your job, your school, your marriage, kids, health, finances, struggle with a, maybe a particular area of sin. Oh, and by the way, a new church, right? Like, this is a new church. Some of y'all are new. This is the first time you're here. It could be the wrong church, and maybe it is. When we started this church, I know you, you, know, you don't want to think about this, but you know what? I thought, man, you know, this could go horribly wrong. I really feel like it's the Spirit of God, but I could fail. Can I just let you in on a little humanity there, right? I mean, like, I could, this thing could have failed. And then God started working miracle after miracle, bringing person after person. I'm thinking, oh, praise God, you're in this, you know? But the potential for failure, it's, it's everywhere. And here's the thing. Christ didn't die for us to be a bunch of beat-up little wimps that fail all the time. He died so that we could... Be victorious. I mean, he says in his word that we're more than conquerors. He says that we're the, supposed to be the head, not the tail, the, that he has plans to, to, to prosper us, right? So how do we face the giant of failure? How do we live in that victory? Glad you asked. Here's the key. And I want you to listen because this is, it, it's, it's simple, but it's, it's profound. We got to understand God's definition of victory. Let me explain. We measure success in our humanity. We measure success by the outcome. We are a win or lose type of people, right? If we win, we equate that with victory. If we lose, you know, if your team lost today, I mean, last week, the Buckeyes lost. And in my mind, they're a bunch of failures. I mean, I love them, but man, they lost to a team they should have beat, right? That's how we are. We're win or lose type of people. And if we don't win, we feel like it's a failure. I mean, if, if, if the problem's fixed, if the prayer's answered, if the sickness healed, then we're, we're victorious. But anything other than that? Failure. God, however, measures success by what the situation develops in us. He's not as much concerned with the outcome as what it does in us. And if you want proof of that, just read James chapter 1. It's all in there. You know, the cancer, all of a sudden, the cancer may not be God, may, may not be gone, but your love for Jesus is stronger than it's ever been. Therein lies the victory. You see, our concern is, is, is we want to, you know, get through the struggle, get through the pain, you know, circumvent it, go around it, go under it, right? We want to get to the finish line. And God's saying, oh, no, 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 y'all need to back up a little bit. It's in the race. It's in the race that he does his refining work in us. It's not at the finish line. He's like, I already know the result. I already know what's going to happen. I'm God. I have foreknowledge, right? It's what he wants to do. Success, victory, it's what he wants to do in the race, in the middle. Therefore, how we go through our, our challenges, our problems. We all got problems. Jesus said, in this life, there will be trouble. There's always going to be a problem. We have seasons of peace. We have seasons of, of where we feel like maybe we're not under spiritual attack. But guess what? This is life, man. There's going to be problems. And how we go through the problem is of incredible importance to the God we worship. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says, crisis does not make a person. 
It reveals what a person is made of. Someone say amen. Yeah, God, he's looking at how we go through our problem. And he's like, there's the character. There's the integrity. And everyone wants depth of character, but no one wants to go through the struggle to get it. You don't get that for free. You've got to go through some struggle for God to develop that. We whine, we complain, we grumble. Or some of us were like, we know that God's watching. And so we, we smile, we have joy, we trust God. Here's the big idea. Success is measured by our posture in the problem. Say it with me. Success is measured by our posture in the problem. When God looks down at us, what does he see? Does he see people who are persevering through their problem? Or does he see, kind of like he saw with the Israelites, people who moan and complain and whine all the time? I pray to God that he sees a church family, although we are imperfect, although we struggle, I pray he sees people who have Christ-like posture in the midst of our problems. Let's let God worry about the results. That's above our pay grade, right? Let God worry about the outcome. Let's demonstrate Christ-like posture in the midst of our problem. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us through your word today. As we get into your word, God, just, man, through the Holy Spirit, just really... Just deal with us. Help us, encourage us, convict us. Whatever you need to do with each one of us, you can speak to us individually. Do that in a way that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're going to look at a guy named Jehoshaphat. He found himself in the midst of a big problem. And and that problem was literally marching towards him and wanted to kill him. If you've got your Bible, look at 2 Chronicles Chapter 20, 2 Chronicles 20 in the Old Testament. We're going old school today. 2 Chronicles 20, beginning in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible or a smartphone, uh, then I, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> but if you don't and you're still alive, the verses will be back there. So Jehoshaphat. Uh, why his parents named him that? I don't know. Lost a bet or something, but... In 930 B.C., there the 12 tribes, if you remember, would split. Ten would go north uh, to Samaria, and the other two would go south to Judea. Well, the fourth king of the southern tribes was this uh, guy named Jehoshaphat. Now, he was a godly king, unlike most of the kings at the time. He was a godly king. He didn't worship the pagan gods. Second Chronicles 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites... Uh, with some of the mosquito bites. Just making sure y'all are listening. Thanks, Dan. Uh, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now, I want to stop there. And by the way, about 30 people in this room have actually heard this message. I gave it about eight months ago when we were in the living room of one of our beloved uh, founding people here. And God, as I was praying, God said, teach that message. And God brought me right back, so I'm excited to get into the word. Uh, the the people that were marching against the Israelites, they were family. If you remember in Genesis 19, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And Lot and his two daughters made it out of their life. They thought the rest of humanity was destroyed, and so they devised a plan to continue their lineage, right? And they would talk uh, the dad, uh, through the help of some wine, uh, into having ancestral relations. 
and I'm um, being very careful because we have some kids in here. Uh, and they would have kids from that relation. They each have a kid. Each daughter would have a kid. One was the uh, was Moab, and the other was Ben Ami, the father of the Ammonite and the Moab, Moabite people. So wh- the reason I point that out is two things. Number one, it's interesting. They actually trace the birthplace of, of Lot and his two daughters back to Kentucky. <laughs> I said that. I said, yes. I said that eight months ago, and she's sitting in the living room, and she's like, I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> and you're here tonight. You're still here. <laughs> Love you, Karen. Okay. <sighs> Here's why I want to point that out, though. Not the Kentucky part, but the fact that it was family. Because the, the attacks that hurt us the most often come from people we love the most. Family members. You know, brother, sister, relatives, sometimes church people, right? And, and I'm going to fight as, as one of the pastors of this church. I'm going to fight to maintain unity. And please help me. If, you, if someone gossips about another church member, go to them and say, man, I love you, but go to that person. If someone gossips about me, love me enough to say, you know, go talk to Pastor John. We got to fight to maintain the unity that we have here. Yeah. Amen. So verse 2, some of the people came against, uh, came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that's in Gedai. And a question I would have for us today as we read God's word is, is what army is marching against you? What army is marching against me? I've, I've got my own stuff, right? But we all have an army that's en route to try to kill us, to destroy us, or to break us apart. So let's look at Jehoshaphat's posture. Here we go. It's going to get good. Verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to, listen to this, inquire of the Lord and proclaim to fast for all of Judah. Now, I want to put that in perspective, and I want you to think. Put yourself in his shoes. In Gadai is about 25 miles southeast of Jerusalem. And the average, the, the armies at that time could march on average about three miles per hour with all the uh, machine, all the stuff they had to carry, right? And so three miles per hour means that in that time, an average army could move about 25 miles a day. Here's the point. They were one day away. One day away, and by the way, they were alliance forces. They were vastly outnumbered. The deck was way stacked against them. They're one day away. What would you do? What would I do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'm going to be honest. I get my, I start strategizing. I get my generals together. I get my tacticians and, and all the people. And how can we outflank? How can we outmaneuver? How can we outsmart them? Mm-mm. You know what he did? He looked up. He looked up to Jesus. Looked up to God and say, I need help. Man, what a great leader. What a great man of God. He just says, God, I need help. He looks up to Jesus. And here's what I want to tell you about God. God doesn't like being plan B. Did y'all know that? God doesn't like being plan B. See, many of us, we treat God like an emergency parachute, right? Like if everything else fails, we'll do everything first and, oh, you know, then I'll try God. I mean, look what happened after 9-11. Churches were filling up. But now, a little prosperity, things are going good. 
Were they not? They both, right? We, we only need God when we need him, but that's not true. That's a lie. We need God each and every day. God doesn't like being plan B. Here's what he says in Exodus 34. He says, do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Wives, you get that, right? I mean, how would you like if your man came home and said, well, the guys were busy tonight. There's nothing on TV. And the golf course is closed for reseeding. Hey, you want to go on a date night? How pathetic is that? And if some of y'all did that, you're on your own. I, can't, I, can't, I got nothing for you. Y'all need Jesus. But our wives don't like the leftovers, and neither does God. God wants us to seek him first. He wants our first move to be this instead of, you know, look around, look at your felt, Google it, right? He wants us to look up. And the problem is we have way too many options. In this life, we have so many options, right? I mean, we got, what, counselor? We got medicines. We got a credit card. We got rehab facilities. All those things are good. We've got some counselors here that are professionals. We, many of you have been to rehab, and that helps. That's a great thing. But what I'm saying is it's a priority. It, it, there's a pecking order. The first move has to be like Jehoshaphat has to look up and say, God, phew, I'm in big trouble here if you don't show up. We are greatest for God when our options are fewest. Options have a way of making God just another option. How many of y'all know God doesn't want to be just an option? He doesn't want to be a, a little box you check when all else fails, check here. No, thanks. God doesn't want our stinking leftovers. He wants our heart. He wants us to lay it on the line. He wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. But so rarely do we ever do that. He did it. And God, you're going to see what God did because of it. And by the way, let me just say this. Tuesday's election is an opportunity for us to look up. Who we, who we, who we vote for, yeah, you can clap for that. When we go cast a vote, we need to ask God, who, who best represents your heart? You know, we have to look up, and this is a big deal. I mean, we've got a lot of things on the line. Sanctity of life, religious freedom, defense of biblical marriage, Christian values. We need to look up and say, God, who do you want me to vote for? Forget parties, forget all that stuff, because the Holy Spirit's smarter than the lies that the commercials and all the texts they're sending out now. My phone, I don't know how they got my number. Both parties got my number. We need to look up and inquire of the Lord. Say, God, what do you want us to do? Verse 4, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, listen to this, the Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built 
in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment, plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Ooh, man, that is rich. Look at his posture. What's he doing? He's crying out to God. When is the last time we did that? I mean, someone, someone say amen. I mean, when is the last time we cried out to God, like with tears in our eyes, on our knees, maybe snot running out the nose? I know that's gross, but God will redeem that. God will use that snot. <laughs> When's the last time we did that? And not just for yourself, not just for your own problems. See, because as we grow in Christ, here's what happens. We get our minds off ourselves. Bring that down a little bit, would you? We get our minds off ourself. And we get our minds off ourself, then we can take time to stop and bring a homeless person a, a, a food, a sandwich, right? Like you did, Brittany. We can start driving and, and seeing people and looking at them like Jesus did on your way to Starbucks to get your caramel mochi, appiato, frappuccino, light, <laughs> tea, passion, fruit, berry, nuts, and I don't know what else, right? Like we can just stop and say, there's someone who's broken. Like we got to, man, God has called the gathering together to, 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 to bring us together to be a family of God that authentically lives out the mission of God. And we've got some exciting things planned mission-wise that we're going to do as a church. But part of the mission is just living it out yourself, right? Being on mission wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you say, wherever you're at, like you're the missionary, don't, don't, don't look just to our missionary department to be missional. Like, you're a missionary. You have the hope of Jesus, the light of Christ. Man, when you walk in, when you're selling a house, you do sell houses, right? No, I just do the mortgages. Oh, you just do the mortgages at the bank? What bank? No, don't say it. Oh, she got it in there. Snake in the grass. Wells Fargo. Sorry for all the people at Bank at Chase. But wherever you're at, if you're at the bank, man. Give them Jesus. I mean, like, we got a city that is in spiritual poverty, right? We talked about this a little bit last week, but, like, you know, spiritually, people are dying. It's like we, we have the answer. We have the hope inside of us, and we just drive. I'll take a, a caramel frappuccino light, you know? It's like nothing against that, okay? But come on, man. Take your drink and go to the park and love on someone. Like, man, since when did people die, spiritually die, you know, don't know Jesus. Since when were we okay with that? Like, when did it stop to hurt? When did it not hurt anymore? Like, we got to cry out to Jesus. For ourselves, yes. For our own problems, yes. But for the people who don't have a voice because they're lost. Like, God expects us to be his vehicles, to go out and to cry out to him on behalf of them. And God loves desperation because desperation, it removes pride. It removes status. It removes our desire to control things all the time. And the sad reality, if we're honest today, many of us have become professional Christians. We're like pros. We're pros for Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's what we do. You know, we're eloquent. We're, we, we know just what to say, just how to act. And what, we've become kind of mechanical in our faith, right? We've kind of become programmed in our responses. Man, 
need to be a little more undignified. We need to be a little bit more real, a little bit more raw and broken. You know, people say, oh, how you doing? Okay, well, I think uh, they probably want me to say, oh, I'm doing great. And I'm just, you know, I'm naming it so I can claim it. And I'm believing so I can receive, keep my hands on the plow. Or you could be honest and say, I'm jacked up. I had a bad week, man. I got in a fight with my, my spouse. Or I got a son, man, that's wayward. And it's tearing me up. I got an addiction problem. And I need help. That's how I'm doing. But in that place of being genuine, of being broken, of being real, of being authentic, God meets us. He's been waiting there the whole time. You've heard me say this before, and it won't be the last time you've heard me quote this by Max Lucado. The greatest calamity is not to feel far from God when you are, but to feel right at home when you're not. Man, we got to be broken. We got to cry out to God and say, God, I got nothing to offer apart from you. I don't know what we're going to do. I got an army that's en route. And if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. Isaiah 66 2. These are the ones I look on with favor those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. You, you know what the word contrite means if you look it up in the Hebrew? It means crushed, crippled, or broken. I mean, that's what, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ? At times, yes. That's what it means at times. Now, we're not always in that place, but there are times where God, through the path of obedience, will allow some crippling, some brokenness, some hurt to find you. James chapter 1, we're back there again because he wants to develop you. He's looking at your posture. And I'm proud of you, Brutus. You lost your brother. We did, we did his funeral here last week. And I believe people came to Christ at that funeral too, by the way, brother. But I'm proud of you for the way you handled yourself. You know, people were looking at you and looking at that funeral. And even what you said, uh, Pat, right? What you said, you got up here, you were preaching. I was like, I, I don't even need to present the gospel. Pat's up there preaching because he's a missionary. Because he doesn't have to look at the pastor to do it. He's a pastor, right? And then people, I believe people came to Christ, but they saw hope when they went to that funeral. They were thinking about the end and they saw hope, and that's what this is about. But it takes being real. It takes being crippled. It takes being broken. And if you don't want to be that, good luck to you. We can play church. We can act like we got it all together. When inside, God's saying, I'm waiting for you. I've been waiting in your brokenness. I'm here to meet you. I'm here to do something that can only be done in this place. And I don't mean this place, the gathering. I mean this place of brokenness. This, this week, uh, Pastor Gary and I got to go uh, visit uh, Shannon and Craig Salas, they, they attend this church. Some of you know uh, Craig and Shannon. Shannon found out four months ago that she has breast cancer. She is in the midst of a battle for her life. She's lost her hair. Uh, she's, under, she's going through chemo. And last week, as if that wasn't challenging enough, she finds out uh, that her husband has a heart issue. And he goes in, they rush him to the hospital, and they're like, yep, we got to do uh, emergency surgery. And so Gary and I, you know, we rush to the hospital, and we go and pray for her. And we walk, in, we walk into the, the waiting room, and there was Shannon and her sister. Her sister does not go to this church. But there they were, and her sister looks at me after she introduced, uh, Shannon introduced her to me and me to her. Her sister looks at me, and she's like, I know the Bible says that, 
you know, God won't put more than we can handle. She goes, but what the? And she said it. And I know there's little kids in here, but listen, she said it. And here's the thing. She's broken. She's not trying to be eloquent. You know, it was after all night wrestling match that God blessed Jacob. Do we think we don't have to wrestle with God at times? We're going to wrestle. You're going to wrestle. I'm going to wrestle. Join the match. That's what it is to be a follower of Christ. It's a knockdown, drag out wrestling match at times. She was broken. She was desperate. She was crying out to God. And then, as if that was, wasn't hard enough to try to point her to Jesus at the, in that moment, I had to wheel in Shannon because she's in a wheel. She's too weak to walk because she's in the midst of chemo. I'm wheeling her in to her husband who's about to have triple bypass surgery, fighting for his life. She, we all three put our hands together and all three of us are just crying. What do you think God saw? What do you think in that moment God thought of, of their posture? They didn't, they don't understand. They had a little bit of doubt in their humanity, right? Like Dan talked about a couple weeks ago. But they're persevering right through. And I'm so proud of, of, of Craig and of Shannon and how they're keeping their eyes on Christ and they're just crying out to Jesus in their distress. Stay tuned for how that story ends. But remember, it's not so much about the ending. It's not so much about the result. It's more about their posture. And I believe in, in, in that moment, God looked down and said, hey, check this out, guys. Come here, come here. Look at him. Look at, I, I allowed this. I allowed this in my sovereignty to happen to Craig and to Shannon. And look at them. And all of heaven's just rejoicing. Everyone's got the chills and the goosebumps like I got right now. They're celebrating their faithfulness. They're celebrating their posture to their problem. Verse 10. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? Pause. We need to let God worry about that. If you've had a wrong done to you, and you're like, God, won't you judge that person? Let God judge, right? right? Just let God worry about that. That's his deal. That's not ours. There's freedom in that. Release that. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Whew. Here it is. We got to keep our eyes on Jesus. You want to avoid failure? You want to have God honoring posture? Keep your eyes on Jesus. And by the way, how cool is that to, to, to hear a leader say that? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Like today, man, we think that every leader has to have the answers. Let me tell you something behind the curtain, I ain't got all the answers. So if you're looking for a guy that's got all the answers, you're in the wrong church. Sorry, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. His name is Jesus, right? And, and, and yeah. <laughs> Leadership is not about knowing what to do, but rather knowing where to look, right? What, what, did, what did Paul say? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
If you're looking for a leader, I'll say this. A leader's, uh, your desire or your, the way in which you should follow a leader is directly proportional to his or her ability to follow Jesus. Right? There's a direct correlation between worthiness of being followed based on his or her relationship with Jesus. Is that person chasing Jesus? And if not, run. Jehoshaphat, man, he chased God. He said, our eyes are on you. And God just loved him when he said that. He loved it. And you know, sometimes we need help with that. That's why we've got family circles. If you're not in a family circle, when you leave tonight, or you can get out your app. You know, you can sign up on the app, right, Terry? Oh, how cool is that? We have come a long way in six months. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Amen. These people have no idea about the sweat box, but that's, for no, that's, that's a whole nother day. We'll talk about that, Lord, another day. Um, but we need help. And part of God's plan for us keeping our eyes on Jesus is life together. I could tell you so many stories, but I don't have enough time, uh, of how our family circles have, how people have been built up, been encouraged through the ministry of our family circles. Get signed. If you are not, I don't care if it's your first night here. You're checking this church out? If this is going to be your home, go out and sign up for a family circle. It, it, you will see that God is changing lives in that way. But that's part of God's plan for helping us look up at him. And, and let me be honest with you guys. This is the most difficult of all. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, it's the hardest of all the three. Why? Because it takes time. It takes time to keep our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> God's kind of like the, a resident of Sun City West. Or Sun City. What is it called? Sun City. I know you're about to correct me on this like you did last week. But God is like, kind of like a Sun City resident. He's not in a hurry. Art, have you ever been behind a, a Sun City resident on one of the golf carts? <laughs> Man, nothing gets under my skin like someone going 16 miles an hour on a golf cart. <laughs> oh, I love it. God's dealing with me too. It takes time to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's hard. I'm not going to stand up here and say it's easy. It's hard. And you know what God is saying? Come on up here, buddy. Come on. I need a ball. I need a... I need a... Okay. How you doing, brother? Good man of God right here. So, what was it? You ever... You know what a plank is? Okay, number one, I just pulled in your man card. Why do you know what a plank is? I'm just kidding. 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 I, do, I do too. I have a wife. Hey... Will you, can you hold a plank? Yeah, get down there and just hold a plank here for me. Oh, that kind of plank. Oh, yeah, oh, you're thinking a plank like speck in my eye, plank in yours? All right, all right, all right. Oh, wow, he's been working out a little bit. Just hold that for a little bit, okay? No, stay with me, brother. Here's what God's saying. Yeah, he's praying. But that's what holding the plank looks like, right? It looks like a lot of time down on the ground praying. 
And, and, and here's the thing. Muscle, are you burning yet? No. I can hold this note all day, buddy. <laughs> so here's the thing. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, keeping your eyes on Jesus. And here's the thing. Think about it. Read, the, read your Bible. Noah waited 120 years for the predicted rain. Abraham waited 25 years for his promised son. Joseph waited 14 years in a prison for a crime he didn't commit. The Israelites marched around Jericho 13 times in seven days. Take another lap, right? David, 15 years from being anointed to actually taking the, the throne. You all right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's hurting. Hang on. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping it up. And Jesus waited 30 years. What's he saying to us today? Here's the word, and you're helping me with this. God's going to bless you for this, brother. Jesus is telling us, hold the plank. Say it. Hold the plank. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. That's what it looks like to keep your eyes on Jesus. I can feel you trembling, but you're holding the plank. You good? Yep. Let's give him a hand. Come on. You're up. Yeah. yeah. This guy. Oh, she's Facebook. Are you going Facebook Live with that? Oh, that's okay. I don't care. That's all right. She's proud of. She's proud of her man. Now you can go out to the taco truck and eat whatever you want. You get your workout. Do you really? Oh, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to pray for you, brother. Pray for me. Here's the thing. God's saying, hold the plank. And that might be the only thing you remember for the message, but that's okay. Hold the plank. Because being a, a follower of Christ. It ain't easy. It burns. It hurts. And it pushes you right to the edge. Like Craig and Shannon, they're right to the edge. But you watch God do something powerful in their life. And honestly, he already is. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Let me close with this. Carol Winger, she found out Oh, six weeks ago or so that she has breast cancer. And I am blown away. As your pastor, Carol, I am blown away at the way you're going through that. We, she stood out there a week or two ago and she said, I'm closer to God than I've ever been in my life. You know, and, and who would have blamed her to wrestle, to doubt, to question, to get mad. And maybe those days are coming, but I'll tell you right now, that sweet fragrance is just rising to God because he looks down and sees his daughter who's got an army marching against her. And that army is cancer. But she's looking cancer square in the eye and she's saying, you're defeated. You are defeated in Jesus' name. Proud of you, girl. And here's how the story ends. Verse 15, he says, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Someone needs to hear that today. Listen to me. The battle is not yours, but God's. And here's how God does. Watch verse 22. As they began to fight, get ready to fight, God set ambushes. I pray that God this week sets ambushes against some of y'all enemies, right? And you know, by the way, call me, text me, email me, because I want to hear. We got to tell that story. When God fights for us, we got to tell that story. We got to encourage each other with that. 
the invaders turned on themselves, began fighting each other. And in verse 25, it took them three days to clean up the plunder. Game over. <laughs> you want to have Christ honoring posture in your problem? You want to avoid failure? Stop worrying about the result. Stop worrying about the outcome. And just think to yourself, God, what, what do you see as I go through my problem? As my army marches against me, what do you see? Help me be like Jehoshaphat. Help me look to Jesus. Help me cry out to Jesus. And help me through the storm, through the long, arduous battle, help me fix my eyes and keep my eyes on the author and the perfecter of my faith. Because this life's going to be over. The problem's going to be over. And the next problem's right around the corner. Help me keep my eyes bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment I recognize that there are people here that are in the midst of, of battling God wants to meet you God wants to meet you in that brokenness but first maybe there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus you've never made him your, your savior and I just want to give you an opportunity if you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life you can do that right here you can do that right now. And what that means is that means that you will be forever with Jesus in heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to call you out. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, would you just raise your hand? Just slip your hand up so I can see it. Amen. Just slip your hand up. I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? You want to know Jesus? You want to make him your Savior? Amen. I see you over here, brother. I see you. Amen. Those of you that are raising your hand, I want, I want to lead you in a prayer. Just say this. Uh, just say this to God. You're not saying it to me. I have no power to save. Say this to Jesus. You can say it out loud. You can say it to yourself. But just something like this. Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. Would you come and meet me in this place? I believe you died for my sins. You died on the cross so that I could be set free, so that I could live for you. And so today, Jesus, I make you my Lord and my Savior. From this day on, I belong to you. Forgive me for my past and help me use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. We're going to celebrate that in just a few moments. Some people came to Christ. Yea, God. But before we do, let me just pray over those people who are struggling. If you're struggling today and, you're, and a problem faces you, would you just show, show me who I'm praying for? Just raise your hand. Be honest. Be vulnerable. Be real. Amen. 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 Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you that you are a God that doesn't give up on people. God, we've given up on you at times. We have to confess that. We have to be real before a God that knows all. But you have never turned your back on us. You have never neglected us. You have never abandoned us. You are always there and you always will be because you're faithful, because you're just. And so right now, I stand in the gap and I intercede on behalf of all my brothers and sisters that for this church family, many of us, we're going through struggles. We're going through hardship right now. But God, let us look to the heavens and see you in it. 
And as you see your children navigate through these storms, God, I just pray that we make you proud, that you look down and you say, those are my kids, and I'm proud of them. I love them. Help us be faithful. Help us be strong. And help us always keep our eyes on the God of the heavens and the earth. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name, the name that saves. Amen. Can we welcome some of those new folks to the kingdom of God? Come on. Awesome. Awesome. Yay, God. Amen, amen. Listen, you are loved. And you know what? We're going we're gonna to close. We like to celebrate what God is doing. And we're going to close with that song that Lindsay sang. Was that not awesome? Yeah, man. Let's, amen. Praise God for this team. You guys are awesome. Let's, would, you, would you stand up? We're going to close with this song, lifting our hearts and our eyes to the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's do that.